0: Uh, Hopefully, everyone has filled out their Central card. Um, Some of you might be thinking, oh, I filled one out last year. This is the time of year we'd like to update our database, so it's really great if you could fill it in, even if nothing's changed. Then at least we know nothing's changed. Sometimes what we do is we get these back to the office, and we're looking and we're saying, Wow, that phone number, is it a seven? Is it a one? I don't know. And we kind of guess, and then we sometimes get it wrong. So uh, if you can fill that in and hand it down to the end of the rows, that will be fantastic. My name is Mark. I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central. And um, if you have a Bible, you might want to turn to Mark and chapter six, book of Mark, chapter six and verse 30. Um, we're going to read from that in a moment and the words will actually appear on the screen as well, so you should be able to follow that. Okay. So, we'll start with an account of something from a while ago. The children are dressed and ready for school, but there's no food for them to eat, the house mother of the orphanage informed George Muller. George asked her to take the 300 children into the dining room and have them sit at the tables. He thanked God for the food, and waited. George knew that God would provide food for the children, as he always did. Within minutes, a baker knocked on the door. Mr. Muller, he said, last night, I couldn't sleep. I knew that you'd need bread in the morning, so I got up and baked three batches for you. I'll, I'll bring it in. Soon there was another knock at the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed. He asked George if he could use some free milk. George smiled as the milkman brought in 10 large cans of milk. It was just enough for the 300 thirsty children. So George Muller has always been, for me, one of the great heroes of the Christian faith. And uh, faith and prayer sums up what he was known for. There he is, George Muller. Looks like, quite a d- looks like he had his hair done by Leah, I think. Um, maybe not. <laughs> I just think the like the gel that he's got. I mean, it's pretty impressive. (laughs) Not today. No, not today. (laughs) In the day. (laughs) Sorry, Leah. It was a cheap laugh. (laughs) Moving on. Yes, she's doing me in a few weeks. (laughs) That's not going to go well. Anyways, moving on, George Muller, oh dear, now I've gone embarrassed, that's not good. George Muller uh, was known as an evangelist, he was in Bristol in the UK, he set up 117 schools and orphanages, 117, to house and educate over 120,000 children. You know what, he never asked for donations for anything that he did, only prayed that God would provide everything that was needed. And his journals record 50,000 prayers that were answered by God. 50,000. 5,000 of them were answered on the day he prayed them. That's just incredible. He was a man of faith. He was a man of prayer. He trusted an almighty God and a loving Father who would always provide for his needs. If you want to read about any Christian from the past and get inspired by them. Read George Muller's story. It's incredible. Today, as we continue through Mark's gospel, we're going to see God's miraculous provision in the feeding of the 5,000. This story reminded me of of that. The same God who supplied the needs of George Muller and his orphans, and the same God that we have today. So we're going to read from Mark chapter 6, and we'll start at verse 30. Which says this, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, look, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got ahead, there, ahead of them. Then he gave it to them, to the disciples, to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who he'd eaten was 5,000. All right. So Jesus has sent out his disciples uh, to preach and heal and set people free from bondage. That's the context, that's what we looked at just before this they've all gone out to different towns and villages in the area and they're preaching and teaching and now they've come back and they are reporting back to Jesus everything that they have seen but you know being involved in this kind of thing can leave uh, people feeling overwhelmed feeling stretched feeling tired feeling hungry and that's exactly what the disciples were feeling like. They, they, they've got people coming and going. Jesus was so popular. There was always a crowd around. And the, it says the disciples didn't even have time to eat. I mean, that must be pretty busy, mustn't it? That, so it's so much going on. They didn't even have time to eat with all the people coming and going. So Jesus says, you need some rest. We're going to take you away. Why don't you get in the boat? We'll go somewhere else. We'll go somewhere a bit quieter. Um, they'd done that before and there was a a demon-possessed guy kind of ran at them. So they thought, okay, well, we'll try it again. They go off and they, and they get to a solitary place. Actually, it's not solitary because the people have spotted where they're going this time and they run ahead of them. And so there's already a large crowd there when the people, when Jesus and the disciples land. And the Bible says, out of compassion, Jesus again starts teaching these people He sees that they're lost without him. He says, they're like sheep without a shepherd. So they desperately need someone. And Jesus is thinking, okay, well, I'm going to teach you then. Now, can you imagine what the disciples were feeling like at this point? They're just totally overwhelmed. They just need the break. And they get there and it's like, oh, my word. The crowds are there again. Surely Jesus won't, won't want to do anything with them. Surely he'll send them away. But no, he starts to teach them. And the disciples must have been groaning about this. They must have just been like, oh, surely not, no. And, and, and Jesus is teaching them because he has l- such love and compassion for them. And, it, and it's getting late. And the the disciples, they're already tired. They're, they're hungry. They must be getting more tired, more hungry. Surely Jesus is going to finish up soon. You know, these people haven't got anything to eat either. Uh, you know, and, and we've brought our food along with us, so we can eat what we've got, but... Surely, he's going to send them away. But that's not what Jesus' intention is, as we see later on in the passage. That's not what Jesus wants to do. He actually wants his disciples to be involved in feeding these people. And so he says to them, you give them something to eat. Because they go up to him, don't they? And they say, J- Jesus, you know, um, it's getting late, it's getting late. These people have got nothing to eat. Why don't you send them away? Send them somewhere else. And Jesus is saying, no, you give them something to eat. I mean, what an outrageous thing for Jesus to say. There's there's thousands upon thousands of people there. It says 5,000 men, and that means there was many more women and children probably as well. And it's ridiculous saying to 12 people, you give them something to eat. I mean, they're thinking, well, we can head out to the villages and buy food. It, they say it's going to take more than six months' wages um, if we do that. And, and they'd already left their jobs to follow Jesus, hadn't they? Jesus said, come and follow me. They'd left behind what they were doing for their careers and their jobs and their livelihoods. They haven't got the money to pay for that. Jesus, what are you talking about? And then Jesus says, well, what, well, what do you have? What have you got with you? And it's kind of a joke. They go, "Well, we've got five loaves and two fish. It's probably about enough for 12 people, 13 people with Jesus. Not really a big meal for them. Never mind all these thousands of people who are there. And in any case, that's their meal. (laughs) Like they're hungry. (laughs) They're tired. They've come. They've brought their meal. And it's their meal. And they've been so busy serving God. Serving God, preaching the gospel, delivering people, healing. They've not even eaten. I mean, surely they're hungry. They they just need to get rid of these people. They just need to be able to rest and eat. And Jesus is saying, you feed them. And so the scene is set for one of the most amazing miracles that Jesus was going to do. And as we look at this account, and we'll go into a little bit more detail on it in a moment, as we look at this account, we see that there are three elements to this. Firstly, there's a huge need. There's a huge need. Secondly, there's limited resources. Huge need and limited resources. But thirdly, as we come to the end of the story, we'll see there's God. Huge need, limited resources, but there's God. So here's the situation for the disciples the place is remote, it's getting late, and there's thousands and thousands of people there, all hungry. It's a huge need, huge need. But they've got five loaves and two fish, limited resources. And we see situations time and time and time again in Scripture. All you need to do is read through your Bible. The Old Testament is full of stories. You could find loads of them uh, where you see a situation like this, where there's huge need and limited resources. Okay, pop quiz. Who can think of one? Who can think of one situation where there's a huge need and limited resources in Scripture? Okay, crossing of the Red Sea. All right. There they are, and no water wo- in there. Well, mo- we'll come to you. <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> I'm just drawing it out. <laughs> you're preaching yourselves now. I'm just doing it. So crossing of the Red Sea, there they are, Egyptians behind them, huge need. And well, how can we get across? We can't get across. No boats, limited resources. Uh, water in the desert. No water in the desert, okay, Israelites. Hundreds and thousands of people No, nothing to drink. Yeah, bless you. Anything else? Man in the wilderness, same thing, similar, similar situation. Israelites had it all the time. All right, Gideon, Gideon, huge army coming at him, the Midianites. And, God's, and he's like, oh, man, we've not got many army. And God's then saying, okay, we're going to cut down the army. Tell those people who don't want to fight, they can go home. What? <laughs> Off they go. There's not many left. Okay, who's going to drink water? In th- what are you talking about? Then there's like only a few hundred left. Huge need. Limited resources makes room for God. Abraham was told he was going to be the father of many. He'd be a great nation. Other nations would be blessed through him. These are the promises. But he's over 90 years old. He's childless. There's a huge need or huge promises set before him. Limited resources for him. Yet God worked in him. God worked through him. And fulfilled the promises. And the Bible says in Romans 4. That Abraham is the father of all those who believe. So we too. As well as the disciples. As well as all these people in the Bible. We're all called to live in this place. Of huge need. And limited resources. And God. Huge need. Limited resources. And God. Isaiah uh, 51. Says listen to me. You who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were cut and the quarry from which you were hewn. What 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 does he mean by that? Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who gave you birth. Look to the rock from which you were cut. When I called him, he was only one man. And I blessed him and made him many. And Isaiah saying, and God saying through Isaiah, look to Abraham. He was a man who believed God. He didn't have anything. He was just one man. Yet out of him came many because of God, a man who believed in God. We too need to look to that and think, this is who I belong to. We belong. We're children of Abraham. And the thing is, if we look at this, so often we live and operate in the first two in our lives. We live in the situation of huge need and limited resources. We're really aware of those things, and we leave out the God, the but God. I mean, that's what the disciples did here. That's what the disciples did. They saw the need. They They knew the need. They knew they were hungry. They were tired. These people are hungry. There's too many people They knew they didn't have enough to do anything about that. They didn't have enough food to feed them. They knew they were limited in their resources. So what did they suggest? They said, send the people away. Send the people away so that they can go and get something to eat. Now, that sounds like a sensible plan, doesn't it? That's a sensible plan. If you've got thousands of people here, okay, it's getting dark. They're hungry. We're tired. They can come back tomorrow. Sensible plan good organization, hey, Jesus, maybe you need to get some organizational skills going here and just be aware of the time, the sun's going down. You know, no one's going to think they're crazy for saying that. No one's going to say, what a crazy idea, send the people away to get some food. No, no, good planning. But there's no God in it. There's no God in that at all. There's no but God but God, we've heard it already this morning, we can so easily live in the same way. We focus on how busy we are, how stressed we are about genuine situations in life. This wasn't made up. This is genuine. We, we, we get overwhelmed about uh, uh, the genuine situations going on in our lives. We don't have the financial resources for all that we need We can feel inadequate in our parenting and in our marriage and we don't have enough time to do the things that we want to do or that we need to do. And so we end up making sensible decisions, sensible decisions. Okay, let's scale things back a little. Let's establish some boundaries. Let's cancel the direct deposit. The finances aren't too good. You know, we'd love to get involved in things. We'd love to get involved in church ministry. But we just can't squeeze it in. We've got to protect ourselves. We'd we'd love to be able to give generously, but you know, on our income, we just can't. And the, you know, students—we're in debt. There's, I mean, how can we give out of our debt with all our student loans? And you know, we'd love to move somewhere and get involved in a church plant one day, but 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 what about the friends of our kids? And that's going to be difficult. How are they going to cope? What about our job? And we're going to find a job somewhere else. I don't know. It's just over overwhelming. I think. You know, one day we'll do it. One day we'll be able to do that. One day we'll live radically for God. But actually, if we keep thinking like that, just on the level of huge need and limited resources, that day's never going to come. That day won't come. We'll go through our whole lives loving God genuinely, but having no but God stories, having no... Situations where God miraculously breaks into our lives in the way that God broke into George Muller's life time and time and time again. And our Christianity actually will become stale and lifeless and dull. I wonder if you've slipped into that way of thinking. I wonder how long it is since you've had a but God story where God just came through amazingly, miraculously. Maybe some of you never have. This is what God's calling us to. God's calling us to this. He's calling us to a life of faith where there's huge need, where there's limited resources. But God, the temptations to live in the light of these first two alone are very real. We can give in to them individually. We can bring the same attitude the church as well. I mean, I'm very aware of it as an elder of the church here, one of the leaders here. We're regularly faced with operating budgets which are way beyond what our income is, knowing that, well, we feel God's calling us to these things, and then, well, it's going to cost us more money, but have we got the money? Even this week, I was planning this very message, and, and then an email came through, which is you know, it tells us we get a monthly update of where we are financially as a church, which is helpful. It's helpful to know. It's good, good. People put work in behind the scenes. It's great. Thank you for those who do that. So I get this email, and it's like, oh, you look at it, and you're like, it's kind of making out we're going to be tens of thousands of dollars short by the end of the year behind what, we, what we're spending. And, and it can be so tempting, so tempting to just fix our eyes on that. That circumstance, that need, it's not a made-up need. We can't just go, huh, oh, it doesn't really exist. It's just an email. We'll just delete that one. <laughs> we'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's a reality to the situation. Very real. Huge need. Limited resources. But God. And we can't just fix our eyes on the huge need and the limited resources. We've got to fix our eyes on God who provides for all of our needs. We've got huge needs in so many, huge needs and limited resources in lots of areas of church life, in terms of volunteers, volunteer people to serve in so many. I don't think there's an area of church life where we don't feel we need more people to volunteer or to serve or to get involved. I really don't think there's any area, from setup team to sound and AV, kids team, life group leaders, people going out and uh, doing evangelism, prayer team, drop-in, hospitality, the list goes on and on and on. And in every area you speak to people who lead those ministries or lead those groups and they say, you just hear the same thing, oh, we need more people. We just need more people. That's just the way it is. Huge need. We've got a kingdom. We've got a church to to build and and, and and to run. But we're doing that because there's a world to reach. There's people who are in need. There's people who are sheep without a shepherd who God has got compassion on. And we're like, oh, God. And Jesus even says it. The harvest is plentiful. He says the workers are few. So pray to the Lord to send out workers into his harvest field. That's always going to be the situation, brothers and sisters. We're always going to have huge needs before us. We're always going to have limited resources. But we've got to fix our eyes on God. We've got a huge need and limited resources In even in our meeting space. Our downtown building um, is, is too small for us to meet in on a Sunday. This room is good for us at, at the moment, but our kids have got limited space for the kids' work. We're aware that we're stretched. There's a huge need. We've got, we need a place to grow into, but we've, we've not got... Money to build on, we own some land, but we've not got money to build on the land we own at the moment. Or we could buy somewhere else, we've not got the finance for that. Limited resources. We've got a huge need, we've got limited resources. But the temptation is, let's just live there. Let's just live there, and, and we'll make plans, and we'll we'll fit things into our budget, we'll look at what we can feasibly do, we'll, we'll squeeze it in. If we do that, our vision shrinks, and we and we end up living in fear. Well, what if it all falls apart? Oh what if another person leaves? What if another person moves to somewhere else? Oh, and they, they, they maybe were were people who gave, oh no. And we can we can get into it all. Thankfully, I don't know who gives what, so, <laughs> so <laughs> we can bless people as they go and think. <laughs> but we we can end up just operating on the level of what's pragmatic and what's sensible. Like the disciples did. Those are the temptations, they're very real. And, and people will even commend us for it if we do that. Some people will say, oh, that's very sensible. That's very prudent of you. It's good stewardship of money. Yeah. It can be faithlessness. It can be faithlessness. We so easily forget that the main theme coming through Scripture is but God. In story after story in the Bible, Account after account, we see huge need, limited resources. But God, God came through. Here's some verses. Joseph, Genesis 50, verse 20. Joseph says, you intended to harm me, but God meant it for good. There's a turnaround. But God, Psalm 73 and verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail. I've got limited resources failing, but God is the strength of my heart. And my portion forever. Jesus says in Matthew 19, 26, with man, this is impossible. Huge need, limited resources, impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Acts 3, 15. You, the disciples say, killed the author of life. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Romans 5, we were still powerless but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners huge need we can't do anything about it no resources to change that Christ died for us but God First Corinthians 1 27 but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise God chose the weak things of the world the weak things of the world coming with their limited resources to shame the strong, those who thought they have things. Jesus, uh, sorry, Paul says in Second Timothy, I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. He's in prison. He's being chained. He's suffering. But God's word is not chained. And the one that Ben helpfully read out already this morning, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he showed us, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised him, up, raised us up with him and seated him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So many more as well, but God's in Scripture. And even when it doesn't explicitly say, but God, it's still there. I mean, for each of us, before we became Christians, we, we actually... If we've we've come to know God, we've become aware of our great need. We've become aware of the huge need in our own lives, of our sinfulness. We we have to become aware of our sinfulness and of, of, of just our desperate state before we can even receive Christ Jesus into our lives. We came to realize that we were totally imperfect and sinful. Everything in us is polluted. I mean, we've got great intentions so often, but we can't carry them out. We've got a huge need. We've got non-existent resources to do anything about it. Everything we do is tainted with sin. Even if we could make things better in the future, there's no way to go back to the past. There's no way to deal with those things. And faced with that crisis, we realized that God has done something. We realized there's a but God. He's broken into our lives. And we put all of our confidence in him. We say our confidence is completely in God as we go forward. It's not in ourselves. We can't do anything. We're hopeless. We're helpless. But God he so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So only in God. Our eternal destiny be- depends on God. So if we've trusted him for eternal life, which so many of us have already done, Let's trust him now as we go on in life. Let's trust him for the future. Lord, for all that you've done, we'll praise you. And for all that you will do, we'll praise you. We can trust God for the future. It's the same God. He's rescued us. Why can't we should? We've got absolute confidence in him to be able to live a holy life. Even though it seems difficult, how can I live a holy life? Well, now we can in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's trust God to empower us to move out in in the gifts that he's given us, the spiritual gifts. We might feel totally inadequate. We might feel like jars of clay. But we are. But inside. But God. To show this all-surpassing work is from God and not from ourselves. Let's trust God. He'll provide all that we need to live through financial provision, with our work, however he chooses. Let's trust that God will lead us in able to being able to raise our children. And that when we step out in faith and obedience and, in our lives, and when there's things that we might think, oh, how are our kids going to deal with this? We're going to move from one place of the, of the, uh, the country to another. and we are going to move to a different country maybe? How are our kids going to cope with that? Well, we can trust that God is leading and God is in that. And He and they will receive far more As we step out in faith and obedience to God than they would have ever received if we just trusted in ourselves. So this is what Jesus is doing in this passage with his disciples. He's breaking them out of these first two things. Huge need, limited resources, saying, there's God here. There's God at work. Let's live on this level. They come with their sensible analysis, sensible solution. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. What's he doing? He's involving his disciples in his work again he's already sent them out he sent them out to to do the stuff but now he's still involving them and he's using what they have and it's not much they don't have much but he's using it they don't actually think they've got anything they're like we've got these things and they're kind of like us but that's just what Jesus wants them to do he wants them to give what they have even if it's not much and the truth is that as they offer it up, Jesus will transform it. He's saying give from the little you have, even though you're hard-pressed on every side. Even Give even though you're perplexed. Give even though you're persecuted. Give even though you're struck down. And as you do, you will see, and others will see, that there's treasure in your jars of clay. All surpassing greatness of God is at work in you. Jesus is Jesus is calling us to do the same. Brent was outlining, these quotes are from 2 Corinthians. Brent's been preaching from that the last few times he's preached. He said last week, discipleship always involves sacrifice. It always means a giving up of something. A sacrifice, a sacrifice of our ambitions, a sacrifice of our finances, a sacrifice of our time, a sacrifice of our comfort. And as we give those things up to God, he'll transform them. He'll take them and he'll transform them. The thing is, many of us are scared to do it. We're too scared. We hold on to it because we're living in this level of huge need, limited resources. We can't let go of that. That's what we need. That's the only bit we've got left to survive on. I've got to protect it. We don't want to do it because we're scared. or we've made idols of our money or our ambition or our time. And actually, increasingly in today's society, we make an idol of our comfort. And so when we make idols of these things and when we hold things tightly, actually, it's God who gets squeezed out. God gets squeezed out. Jesus is helping his disciples to see things differently. He gets them to seat people on the grass. But what's he doing there? Why is he getting his disciples to seat people on the grass, I tell you what he's doing—he's raising an expectation among the people that supper is coming. <laughs> it's like get them sitting down. They're like, oh, okay, we were listening to Jesus teaching, but now we're sitting down and we're getting in the little groups, and oh, actually we are feeling quite hungry. Oh, well, maybe he's going to feed us. There's an expectation there that supper's coming, but there's still no food. I mean, the disciples now are way out over the edge, <laughs> way out. I mean, if God doesn't show up now, there's just just no safety net. They've probably got a riot on their hands. <laughs> I thought you were going to feed us. Why are you giving us this tiny bit of fish? <laughs> it's like what? If you've got a tiny bit more. I've got a little bit of bread. <laughs> that's a joke. You know what? What? What's Jesus doing? There's no safety net here. If God doesn't show up, that's it. I mean, why couldn't Jesus have done it the other way around? Why couldn't Jesus have created the food and then told the people to sit down? You know, he could have just gone with his disciples. Let's have just a little conference. Here you know, the disciples, okay, what are we going to do? Jesus says, ah, do you know what? Just give me what you've got here. I'm going to do this miracle. Just, you just watch it. Okay, now, you can now get them sitting down. The disciples are like, great, okay, we can just get them sitting down. He doesn't do it like that. Because the disciples would have known it was coming then. They would have just like, oh, it's Jesus who's done it. That's fine. They're not stepping out at all. Instead, Jesus gets them to move out themselves into the impossible. Walking with God is always about moving in faith. Always about moving in faith. And Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see what we do not see. We're going to be certain of that. That's faith. So our expectation isn't shaped by what's happened. It's by who God is and what he says and what he's going to do. And the disciples are being taught to live like that. People are waiting for supper to come, but there isn't any supper. George Muller, at the start of this message, I, I, the story I read, he had the orphans sit down for supper. The person who ca- the woman who came to him okay well everyone's ready there's no food though he didn't say okay well I'll tell you what just uh, just just play uh, just play duck duck goose with them uh, keep them occupied and uh, we'll just wait okay well, we'll come eventually sit down he said get them seated he knew well he knew in God but there was no evidence of it outside of that but he got them to sit down when we do that There's no solid ground under our feet, only God. And we're just relying on him and our own resources. And that's where God wants us to be. That's where God wants us to be. It's only after the people have sat down that Jesus takes the loaves and the fish and he gives thanks and he breaks them. And then the disciples share it out. And an amazing miracle happens. The multiplication of the food. So that everyone's fed, including the disciples, by the way. And there's 12 basketfuls left over. This is the same God that we have. This is the same God that we know. This is the same God that saved us. And so we can know these things as well in our lives. This isn't just for the disciples. This isn't just for George Muller. This is for us. God's calling us into the same thing. I'm so grateful for for my former pastor and and eventually fellow elder, Arnold Bell, in leading the church uh, in England that I was in in this area, and encouraging me and Debbie in it as well. And we can say that we have seen miracle after miracle in our lives and in the life of the church. And man, it was scary sometimes, (laughs) often. But wow, God was at work, and it's so exciting. I mean, even recently, God led us here to Fredericton, when frankly, it looked impossible. Some Some of you know our full story, and it was just not looking possible but we knew God was calling us here and we had to trust him and I'm not saying we're so amazing about it honestly we were clinging on by like we were like oh we're way over the edge here God provided finances for a two million dollar building project when we had no money at all as a church and we did it without any mortgage God just provided it and we and we met and we prayed week after week and God poured in money week after week. It was incredible. It was like, okay, guys, we're praying for $100,000 this week, equivalent. We're like, okay, we're praying. And you show up the next week, okay, God provided it. And we'd have the story of how it was. It was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. So many other things, story after story. I can't wait to see what God's going to do amongst us. He's already done some things amongst us. You have got stories that I don't even know about some of them. I've heard some of them. They're great. But, God's, but we thank God for those things, and we say, for all that you'll do. But, but he's, got, he's not going to just do them while we sit here and wait. He's going to use us and involve us in them. And he's going to say, what have you got? He's going to take us out over the edge. He's going to have us take steps of faith. And there's one last thing I, I, I'd like us to notice here in this passage and it's about coming to God in prayer now the disciples they came to Jesus to tell him the need they came to say it's getting late these people are hungry they need some food this is the need they came and they told him do you think Jesus didn't know he knew Jesus knew what the need was but he, he didn't do anything until his disciples came to tell him. He could have just done a miracle without being, anyone being involved. He could have just said, okay, guys, uh, it's sandwich time. It's corn boil. Corn boil today. Here's the corn. It's just get it out, you know. He could have just done the miracle on his own. But he didn't do that. He involves his disciples, and he waited for them to come to him. And people often say, well, why do we need to come to God in prayer? Why do we need to pray? Why do we need to tell God? Surely he knows. Surely God knows what the need is. Surely God knows that we need X amount of finance for this month. Surely God knows that, that there are people out there who don't know him. Why, why does he need us? Why does he, okay, he involves us. But why do we, why do we need to pray? Because we're just telling God the situation. And asking him to do something, surely he can work in us without praying. Yeah, he could. He possesses all the resources in the world. But he chooses to involve us. Because he wants to bring us to a place of dependency on him. He wants us to rely on him instead of relying on ourselves. He wants us to put our complete trust in him. So he involves us in prayer. And that's what prayer is. Prayer is coming to God and telling him what we need from him. It's really just coming to Jesus and saying, God, we need you to do this because we can't do it ourselves. That's, that's the, the need's too huge. There's a huge need, God, and our resources are way too limited. We need a but God here. Give us a but God. Lord, we need you. That's what God's wanting us to do. That's a constant theme of our prayer times when we get together. Coming and saying, Oh God, we need you. And, and the only difference is in what we need him in. <laughs> this week we're going to pray about uh, Alpha. Well, God, we need you to work in Alpha. This week we're going to pray about Kids Club. God, we need you to work in Kids Club. This week we're going to pray about our finances as a church. Oh God, we need you to work in our finances as a church. This week we're going to pray about our building. Oh God, we, we can't do anything. We need you to provide something here. That's what we're doing. It's the same prayer. God, we need you. And then God giving us faith and saying, and, and saying, okay, we'll take some steps and you do it. And I'll provide. By the time we read Acts, we see that the disciples had learned to do that. They learned to get together and pray. And then they saw God move. That's what they would do. They would get together and pray. They have persecution coming. They, they have people saying, you, cannot, you can't preach here the gospel anymore. You, you've got to be quiet, and they go back, and they meet, and, and they inform the rest of the church, and what do they do? They pray. Oh, God, give us boldness to proclaim your word. Stretch out your hand and move, and God saves people. But they pray. They come to God. God knew, but they come to God. When, we play, when we're out over the edge of the cliff, we'll pray. When there's nothing beneath our feet, we'll pray. When we're facing the impossible, we'll pray. That's where God's taking us. So we'll pray. So we'll need God. So we'll show our dependency on him. Charles Spurgeon uh, said that one of the signs of a decline in spirituality in his nation was there were many churches who only had one prayer meeting during the week. He saw that as a big decline in spirituality in his his nation of, of the UK. I mean, churches now struggle to get people to a prayer meeting we do we struggle i mean let's be honest 25 on a Sunday night out of this many people is not great it's not great i mean and that's not to condemn anyone but it's just to say <laughs> that's not great in terms of we need god we're dependent on god i mean that actually shows where so often we're living in just the huge need limited resources because you know no one's g- we don't show up to pray, by the way, because we feel like it. Let me give you a, let me tell you something. none of us feel like it. <laughs> like I don't, I don't get to 6:30, seven o'clock on a Sunday evening and think, I like, I really feel like praying. I really feel like pr-. It's like, man, there's so many things we need to pray. We've got to go. let's join with the church. We've got to pray. We need God. We've got to pray. It's as we pray that faith is built. It's as we pray that we get encouraged to move into what God is leading us to do. What's the alternative to prayer? What's the alternative? Worry? Moaning? Probably those two things. Anxiety? If you're praying, you're, you're probably not complaining. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you're moaning, you're probably not praying. Come and pray. There is a huge need. Things aren't all great. No. Because we need God. All right, let's finish with another story from George Muller's life about prayer. George and his wife, they set off from the United States, for the United States, sorry, in August um, 1877, aboard the ship the Sardinian. And off Newfoundland... The weather turned cold and the ship's progress was severely retarded by fog. And uh, the captain had been on the bridge for 24 hours and then something happened which was going to change his life. George Muller appears on the bridge next to him. And he says, Captain, I have to tell you, I must be in Quebec by Saturday afternoon. (laughs) And the captain says, it's impossible. It's impossible. Very well, said Muller. If your ship can't take me, God will find some other way. He said, I've never broken an engagement in 52 years. Let's go down to the chart room and pray. So the captain wondered what lunatic asylum Muller had come from. (laughs) Mr. Muller, he said, do you know how dense this fog is? Nope, but my eye isn't on the density of the fog, but on the living God. And Muller then knelt down and he prayed. And when he'd finished, the captain was about to pray. And Muller puts his hand on his shoulder and says, First, you don't believe he will. And second, I believe he has. And there's no need for you to pray. (laughs) (laughs) And the captain looks at Muller in amazement. And Muller says, Captain, I've known my Lord for 52 years. And there's never been a single day that I have failed to get an audience with him, with the king. Get up, Captain. Open the door. You'll find the fog's gone. And the captain walked across the door, opened it, and the fog had lifted. And the captain himself recounted that story later on and also how very soon after that he came to Christ himself. Christ Central Church, we are heading into a new season where we will face many challenges. We'll face many challenges personally. Some of you will be well into them now already. (laughs) and we'll face many challenges as a church, we will be very aware of our huge need. We will be very aware of our limited resources. But we have great opportunities to come to God and pray and walk in faith so that we will be able to tell many, many, many but God stories. And I want to invite you this morning to join us. Will you join us? It will mean sacrifice. It will mean giving what we thought was just for us. It will mean taking up our cross and dying to ourselves. It will mean dying to our idols. It's not a decision to be made casually. It's not a decision to be taken lightly. And, and to be honest, some of us won't want to. Some of us won't want to die to our idols. And and some of us might take a a little while to come to it. To be fair, the disciples did. We'll see, actually, next passage that I look at. The disciples hadn't learned this. God's gracious. God's gracious. You know, if if you don't feel you're at that point of making that decision today and saying, yes, God, I'm willing to die to these things, you're still so welcome amongst us you'll actually be able to observe some of the things that God's doing in people's lives and in the church. But you'll be an observer. And I pray you'll be able to get to the point of being able to be involved and to join us in your lives and see God work in you and in the church and see how mighty God is. (coughs) But I do believe God's calling many of us to be part of this right now as we go into a new season in the church so we can have amazing stories of God's provision in our life. (sighs) And we've already thanked him for all that he's done and for all that he's going to do. And we praise him for that. So I'm going to pray and I'm actually going to say, if you're at a point now where you say, do you know what, God? (laughs) I want to go for this. I want to follow you. I want to put my trust in you. I am well aware of my situation and it looks impossible, but I'm going to stand before you and say, I'm going to follow you and I want you in these things. I want you in my life. I want to see you work. I'm going to invite you to stand because I want to pray for you now. And there's no shame if you're not at a place to be able to stand. But if you want to stand, I'd love to pray because this is God's call on our lives, church. This is God's call. Some of you didn't even know it was God's call on your life when you came to know him. That's okay. That's okay. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for all that you have done in our lives. Lord, I thank you that when we were still far off, when we were still dead in our sins, you came, you died for us you rescued us you did everything that we couldn't do and lord now we're aware of all that we cannot do we're aware of all that we cannot do in our lives we are hard pressed on every side lord we are often perplexed <sighs> and lord confused and but oh god we know you're you're here and lord we say will you be at work we want to be those who come to you in prayer and say, Oh God, we can't do it ourselves. Will you do it? And God, we want to be those who can respond when you say, actually, you go and do it. What have you got? What have you got? We'll use what you've got, and I'll come in with what I have. And what I have far surpasses, far surpasses anything. God Fill us all with your spirit. Those of us who are standing this morning, we know we need you. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that we cannot do this without your spirit. So right from the start, we're saying fill us, God. Not so we can feel some great feeling or whatever. (laughs) God, we need you. We need you for the fight. We need you for the day and for tomorrow and the day after. Lord, Speak to us about what it is that you would like us to do, Lord. And then give us the boldness and courage to do it in Jesus' name. I pray all this, God, in Jesus' name right now. Amen.